Welcome to Core Voices, your space to talk about the hard-hitting issues that move you, that strike you, that trouble you, the things that you've never been able to talk about. That's what we're here for. The core voice that sits within each of us. It's time to release that. It's time to reach out and build community, build connection by connecting with each other's hearts, to know that we're not alone. Everything we go through, others have been through too. And we're hoping that that's what we'll be able to achieve through this community of core voices. Don't forget to reach out to us on the website, www.corevoices.org. Reach out to us on Instagram and Facebook. Click that like button and help us, help support us to do the work that we're trying to do to reach more people that need that support. Let this be your space. Drop us an email, corevoices at gmail.com. Let us know what topics you want to have us talking about or if you want to recommend or suggest a guest, please, please make this your space. Get involved and let's talk about everything that we should be talking about and take away this veil of taboos. Today, I am very excited to share this space with one of my beautiful sisters who is magnificent in so many ways, Gulbir Baines. With tremendous courage, she has broken through so many taboos. She's transcended from victim to advocate for those suffering from domestic abuse, including honor-based violence, girl abortion, and dowry abuse. She is the author of an incredible book called Not Our Daughter, the true story of a daughter-in-law. It's also been turned into a short film, and through telling her story, Gulbeed gives others the courage to break through a veil of shame, which disempowers the abusers. As a volunteer for the Sharon Project, Gulbeed educates the younger generation on honor-based abuse and encourages them not to suffer in silence. She's also changing public policy by educating CPS, police forces and health workers. Her work is chipping away at the cycles of abuse and it is my absolute pleasure and honor to have her in this space with us today. So please join me in welcoming Gulbeed. I just feed. Thank you very much for having me on Core Voices. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here and for joining us. I'm really excited for everything that you're going to be sharing with us today. Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. And um, I, I don't know how many of our viewers and listeners have, have met you or know much about your work. So if you wouldn't mind starting by giving us just a little bit of background about yourself so we can get to know you a little bit more. Sure. Um, I'm an author of a book called Not Our Daughter, The True Story of a Daughter-in-Law, which is just there. I don't know if everybody can see it. There you go. And I decided to write this book about six years ago. And it was down to my mum and my nanniji, which for me, I've come from a family where my mum's a divorcee in the early 90s. And then myself, I went through a divorce when... Um, 2009 myself and what I noticed was during that time of going through a divorce in 2009 as well as my mother going through one in the early 90s not much had changed from then to now and how women were still like ostracized out within the community um, how divorce was still looked down upon on women more than men mm. so 
I didn't feel there was much difference between then and now. So what I decided to do was I wanted to break that cycle. And then also I had a nanny who was pre-partition. So was born in Pakistan, you know, obviously they'd settled in India. And then my mum as an immigrant, so my nanny was in the refuge camp in Pakistan. You've got my mum who was an immigrant in the UK. I also saw these women had sacrificed so much just so I could have an education and I could actually live a better quality of life, which I was doing because I was a fashion designer for a brand at the time at the top and where I was um, working for Marks and Spencers. And wow. I was doing everything thanks to these women that had sacrificed a lot more before me for me to have the opportunities I had. Mm -hmm. And I kind of felt where, you know, they've sacrificed so much, but yet going forward, even though they've sacrificed so much, me being educated, there is no discrimination when it comes to going through a divorce or domestic abuse or any form of abuse. There's no stigma that just because you're educated, you're less likely to go through that process. Mm -hmm. So, and I think I realized that when I looked back at my, um, the women before me, like my mom, my nanny and the sacrifices they'd made. And I just made a decision that day that I want to actually voice my opinion on this journey, talk about some of the hardship I've gone through rather than, you know, kind of close up as we're taught up in Jabi women to just close up and not talk about it, you know, the sharam and what that kind of whole thing. So for me, it was almost wanting to educate the community rather than hide away from it. Mm -hmm. And that's where I decided to start on writing my journey. And, you know, as so it's inspired by my story, as well as my mum's journey back in the 90s. Also looking at, so there's a small chapter of looking at how women have struggled during partition as well. And again, what marriage was seen back then as honour. You know, during partition, I've heard stories from my Naniji where, you know, women were given poison when they were leaving their family homes to go over to Punjab because obviously that was the journey that they took from Pakistan to Punjab. And, you know, they packed up as many kapri as they could in the jolly. And in this jolly, they picked one best outfit and that best outfit was going to be their wedding outfits. Little did they know until at the time when they were getting married. So, you know, everything around a woman is measured by her getting married. No matter how many achievements you may succeed, how many awards, how many degrees you'll get, until you're not married, you're not measured to something. And when a marriage fails, then you're seen as nothing in the community, I feel. Hmm. And that was my experience and my mother's. Um, my nanny wasn't a divorcee. My um, nanaji passed away. And again, she explained that journey of being married to him and the honour it was during a partition to marry your daughters and to have a man's shadow to protect you was such an, again, that was seen as like you, the highest achievement you could have achieved during those times. Mm. So for me, you know, just understanding the women, I took a trip 10 years ago back to Punjab which had been a number of times before, but this time it was like a special trip because I knew it was going to be going Punjab, from Punjab, crossing the border by foot to Pakistan, mm -hmm. understanding my nanny's heritage and, you know, diving into a bit more history on my family. And as I did this, I also started to pay attention at the law in Punjab and Pakistan and seeing how women are treated. And as I was out there, I realised, yes, I'm the privileged one here because we've got a lot of the law that takes, you know, because we're, we're UK born with being British since Asian Brits. You've got a lot of, you know, we've got a lot of rights, a lot more than what my mother had in India, a lot more than my, what my nanny had in Pakistan. So 
a lot of women's stories have been forgotten during partition because none of the, those voices were spoken. Nobody chose to write those or document them unless there's now you know, projects that have gone about to write women's stories. Um, a lot more stories have come from the men. And then you've got um, with women in Punjab, now when you go to weddings and functions, say if the wedding didn't go ahead, something happened, a woman has more rights to illegally sue her in-laws out there, yet future in-laws to be, yet she hasn't even married. But then we haven't got those policies here, I noticed. So I was thinking, I was almost comparing the policies whilst I was out on this trip and also looking at the way women were treated. So when I was in Punjab, I noticed being on a rickshaw, people were just staring at you, gulping at you. You go into mm. sh shops and, you know, you see things that you don't normally see. Then I went to Pakistan and again, they had barde on the side, like blinds on the side of the rickshaws. Women never queued anywhere. Women got to go in it, whereas the men were queuing. So for me, I think as I'm seeing this and I'm seeing it for myself, I took away all this research and I thought, right, I came back and I decided I'm going to write this book. And I started diving in it off and on because I had a few things going on in my personal life where I could dive and spend six months into it or I could just step away from it. There was no deadline with it. And as I've gone into doing this, I've discovered so much about my family history and the process of it from my mum's side, from my dad's side. Again, I didn't even realise I had a second auntie until I was writing the book. I didn't realise how many child marriages that happened within our, my family, as well as the community, forced marriages. And, you know, as you dive in, I was discovering so much. And I decided then how I'm going to start this is by writing about my journey when I got married. From there, diving into my mum's journey, diving into my nannies a bit. And I learned so much and I took more away from this, I feel, than anything else. Mm. So at the time, my sorting was, like my thinking process was, I just want 1% of change within the South Asian community, our community, our Punjabi community. Mm. I just want them to change the way they think, the way weddings are doing going on right now, because weddings were getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But yeah, mm. we've got very high divorce rate in the UK. So what are we doing within the Godwaras to support the couples to want to make you know the marriages work by making them understand what Ananda courage is? You know, we're all about the parties and all about impressing our guests and our guest lists are getting bigger and bigger. So for me, it was like all these things were adding up. And I just wanted to kind of get a better understanding and hoping when I started this project, I get 1% change. That's all I wanted was 1% change. I ended up getting a lot more than I bargained for <laughs> and with Guruji's Girpa I've got to say like can I be honest even when I did my first event or anything even when I launched the book I launched it with EY Seek Network and I remember when I went in the room which obviously this is before anyone has turned up in the room I did an adas and that's one of the things the beauty of it and you can see that in my book and you get the book and you read it my nanny has played a very strong role in my life and she is nothing but lives and breathes a Gurbani and you know, the part has been part of our lifestyle. And so even when you've gone through an okikari, you know, you recite your mulmantar and you go through those processes and you feel like connected to God as one. So when I was writing it, there was just elements that, you know, like taking me back to my childhood with my nanny, the moments when she used to come over to from Canada to visit us, through to um, my mum when she was struggling with my dad and they were going through a divorce. And I remember we never went to Godra as a family because we got ostracized by the community and the way the women were looking at my mum, but yet we did part at home. So it just got me to start reflecting on things. And like I said, I paid attention at the law. And then I came back and I looked at our UK law and I thought, do you know what? There's so much 
going on here, but yet the, the, gov the, like the laws we haven't got in place for when it comes to weddings? Because mm -hmm. even though we say we don't do this, but there is a part of a gender thing. In the UK, there's a ravage where the girls side will cover the cost. But as time has gone on, both couples will contribute to a wedding. But right. in my case, when I got married, I contributed for the wedding. It was like the grunge of the cost was on my side of the family. So again, I found that very, like the inequality there not fair as well, because why is it? But then, you know, the girls side have to cover the cost. And again, you look back into history, you know, Suggan and things like that, you know, was given to their daughters. Parents gave, you know, jewelry or sets and things to the daughters because women never used to work back in the days. So they'd, used to rely on whatever their parents have given them as dowry that they're gonna if something was to god forbid happen to their husbands they can rely on that sally and run their households but obviously with time going on women have become more stronger you know we're working class now as well so you've got women are working as well as men are we're contributing to a household together so you've got that going on the dynamic so i just saw loads of changes from where my nanny you know, again, that generation showed up and put up with it. And my mum did because they were living off of their husbands. Their husbands were the breadwinners at home. Mm -hmm. Whereas though, you know, when I was married with myself and my partner I had professional jobs and, you know, both of us contributed towards uh, running of a home. So you have choices as well. So if there's certain things you're not going to put up with, people tend to walk away from marriages quicker, I think. But with my situation, I didn't just walk away. I went through marriage counselling. I even had counselling through with the family before I made the decision to walk away. Mm -hmm. And I think afterward, when I came out, I thought, what services have we got within our own community? Hmm. And as I reached out, I realised we haven't got any community. We haven't got anything that, you know, within our Godware, we promote weddings. Um, overall, there's all these Asian exhibitions, but we've got no counseling professional services within our religious buildings to support couples when they have a breakdown or they have a problem and to keep it professional. Mm -hmm. So I started diving into that and there was like a number of things were just boiling up. There were so many things coming to the surface. And um, I actually then made a decision that I'm going to start writing the story and I hope I get 1% change. Like mm -hmm. I was saying, um, I got more. I ended up launching with EYC Network from the respond I had from there. It went on to me. I was, I'd applied to do a TED talk. I did the TED talk from the TED talk. I went on to talking at a number of like West Midlands police. My first actual official talk of the book was West Midlands police through um, that presentation I did with the West Midlands police. There was an officer called Tony Parker, who was from the domestic violence unit in Wolverhampton mm -hmm. and he'd heard the conversation he said uh, and I focused on that conversation more about you know in weddings we give southern to our daughters and again bring it back to dowry mm -hmm. it's not um southern when your f daughter's future in-laws are asking for jewelry or asking for a list to be compiled for a wedding and that's what I had happened in my personal situation mm. where they kept compiling lists and bringing forward and saying, we need this, we need this. And the wedding ended up going from 350 people to 550 to a different venue to all these issues that were happening before the wedding. And I had chose three months before the wedding to walk away. And then I thought I've got to make it work. And I carried on thinking of the shame of the, you know, what the shame's going to be on my mum being a, a divorcee. 
And I chose to continue with that relationship. And again, their fear was, what if we don't give the things that they're asking for? Will they make your life a hell? And I kept thinking that kind of behavior is in, happens in India, not in the UK. And, um, you know, so again, going back to that conversation with like them asking for things, as I'm talking about it, that is dowry abuse. You're using a word called sagan and asking for things. When if you look at, again, the um, Sikirit, and mm -hmm. in there it's forbidden to give dowry for your daughters to get married. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's seen as selling your daughters. And when I really paid attention and I reflected back on that behavior, and I thought, actually, for them to be asking for things, and my family worrying now that, everybody knows in the community that we're fixed up and we're arranged and you know the shame it's going to bring on my family more than his family because my mom's a divorcee it just pressure that gets put on the girl side i really paid attention through my wedding and other weddings that i saw where i went where yet the girls side are paying for it but they're always sat in the, in the background and the boys mm -hmm. that are always put on the forefront mm -hmm. you know and it's always putting them and it was again these little behavior patterns that i didn't agree with which i chose to then start writing so i've covered a lot of subjects in the book about you know cost of weddings dowry abuse mm. um you've got domestic abuse alcohol abuse and it's talking about real issues that go on behind closed doors basically mm. i think i've gone on by the way mate no not at all i i love everything that you're sharing with us <laughs> and i think that there's there's so much that's so important i'm really grateful that you've put together this book because it's so many things you're saying resonate with me, you know, um, and I'm sure that everybody who's, who's catching this episode, who's tuning in feels the same way because a lot of these things are so common in our culture, in our community, we've normalized them and they shouldn't be normal. That shouldn't be okay. Yeah. That shouldn't be just what happens. Um, unfortunately it has been that way. And I think that doing the work that you're doing is incredible to raise awareness to it because that gives us the opportunity collectively to step in and create something that's better, that's different to the broken system that was given to our parents, to our mothers or to our grandparents, Hannah. Um, I, I can't wait to read the book and I want everybody who's listening, who's tuning in to get over to Amazon to type in Not Our Daughter, The True Story of a Daughter-in-Law by Kalbir Baines. And please show your support. Buy five copies, give them out to your friends, share it with everybody because we only can make a difference once we're sharing our stories. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm so engrossed in everything that you were saying. There's like a billion questions in my head. Um, and please only answer if you're comfortable. But I think that for me, a topic that is immediately relatable is divorce, right? And that word itself is so tabooed and labeled with shame, right? That we become untouchable, right? So technically you yeah. and I are both divorcees, right? And yeah. that means that in the community, we get shoved into that dirty, dusty corner full of cobwebs and nobody's ever gonna speak to us again because that's how it used to be, right? So apparently that's supposed to be what happens to us. I don't agree with that. Oh. <laughs> so I, okay, so when I've done a talk at a number of events, there's um, a charity called Ikra Charity. And um, just to let you know as well, guys, on um, when you purchase the book, what happens is you end up um, 
there's a percentage that's being donated to a charity called the Sharon Project, which I volunteer for the charity. Which so it's a women's the Sharon Project. The Sharon Project. The, the Sharon Project, and it's an organised which supports vulnerable women and building their lives back up. And right now, with obviously with COVID happening, it's as everybody knows, domestic abuse um, has been on the rise worldwide by forty six percent. So, you know yourself they've got like ICRA, Karma Nevada, the Sharon Project, all these South Black Sisters, all these charities are helping women that need it as well as men as well that do go through abuse as well, a smaller percentage but they do. Um, what was I saying sorry that this divorce yeah so ICRA when I've gone to events and I've done and this I'm going to use the little quote that they use women are like silk if you throw them in mud they stain Men are like gold. You throw them in mud and you can just wash it off. Oh, so it really doesn't matter um, what men do. And even if it is, and this is a thing I think what got me about the whole divorce thing. When I growing up, I saw my dad was an alcoholic. My mom used to regularly, and it wasn't domestic abuse. It was domestic violence would regularly get beaten up. We used to go to weddings where mum would, you know, put a cardigan on, cover her scars, just so people couldn't see. And then people would come up to us and say, where's your dad? And again, as a family, you'd, you'd kind of lie and live a double life and be like, oh, he's at work. So every time anybody asks, gone there. You know, this, mm. And all of a sudden they have this image of my dad being this hardworking guy is providing for his family, but nobody knew the truth what was going behind closed doors. And again, we got a pet talk before we went to any wedding. You know, go, you don't let anybody know what's going on in the household. You keep it private. So you almost led a double life from a very young age. Then when, you know, and again, when she went through a divorce, naturally people cut her off, didn't even know what was happening behind closed doors, what she'd gone through for years of abuse, 14 years of abuse my mum went through. And not one person on the road that we lived on ever came up and said, are you okay? Do you need any support? But if anything, I remember going to the goods when we were younger and it was, she got pointed at that she's a divorcee. And I remember when I went to get my GCSE grades and my mum just asked us to pop to the Godward to do Matatekana, which we did. As we went in, Santi comes up and again, criticising, and it was very much, oh, you guys don't come to the Godward because your mum doesn't come to the Godward, so where's your sickly? And, you know, it was things like that. And I was just like shocked. And when I went through my divorce in 2009 was when I, I separated and I didn't, I didn't get divorced officially until 2012. That's like eight years ago. And the way people responded to me and I thought I thought that was because the 90s and you know my mom wasn't educated or the community wasn't aware about it I was quite surprised how many people were like even the younger generation I think more than even the elders some of the elders actually learned to understand because they've realized now through their their life experiences and mm -hmm. they want to have that change of behavior but I found it more ignorant from the younger generation mm. And, mm -hmm. you know, the judging of, they're wanting to know what happened rather than how you are. <laughs> yes. And are you okay? Yeah. So for me, oh. I was really surprised. And do you know what? For That's where I think the really bit that really kind of, as a Punjabi word, they say, and I thought, my mother has given away a daughter. And with dignity and respect, I've held my relationship in that marriage. Nobody knows what happened between closed doors in my marriage and the struggles I went through as a woman. Naturally, people just finger pointed at me saying, I must have the fault in me because A, my mom's a divorcee and B, I'm a divorcee. Mm. So 
it really hurt. And that's when I made the decision, actually, I'm going to write about this and also share my mom's story and the sacrifices my mom made and my nanny made because these women have silent their voices. And this is where I really want to break the pattern in generations before me of speaking out. Because if we don't break that cycle, how are we going to educate the future generation? Absolutely. It's so important. So, you know, and if I had a daughter, I wouldn't want my daughter to go through that. So, you know, as for the next generation, maybe my, my own child, my own bloodline, my nephews or nieces or someone, I wanted to break that cycle and bring education about. And I remember when I went to do it, my mum my was really nervous. And I remember her saying to me once, And you know what? The funny thing is we worry about the community so much, but this community doesn't even contribute to our bills or anything. But when we're doing great, everybody wants to know you. But when we're down at the dump, nobody wants to know you. So when I came home, mm. nobody wanted to know me. And now because I've been recognized, I've won all these awards, I do all these talks in these professional buildings with professionals, all of a sudden I'm like the best thing ever. And it's like they, they actually acknowledge me at weddings and functions or they've come up to my mum to say, that's your daughter that's doing this now. But yeah. why wasn't I the same girl recognized 10 years ago when I went through the hardship? Why has it taken for me to change my circumstances, believe in myself, mm. believe what my mother did was right 30 years ago for the better of her four children, mm. you know, and believe what my nan had sacrificed for her daughters to have a better quality of life in England. Mm. And, you know, kind of, they've sacrificed so much for me to have the life I have today. And this mm. is where I'm very grateful and I'm able proud and able to say that I can share their journey. And, you know, I'm working on another project, again, related to my mama, my nanny's stories. And I think it's so important to celebrate women's voices, especially women that, you know, they never had an education. They never had the, the, the experience I've had in my life and be able to travel mm -hmm. abroad, live abroad, you know, and live outside before marriage as well. You know, the freedom and the trust. And I remember my mom saying this to me and to uni, you know, so, I can give you, and I will translate this in English, is jigin and trust. Mm. You break that, you've lost everything. Yeah. So, you know, why would I disrespect anyone at my in-law's home if I didn't do it at my mum's house or do anything but, wrong? Because naturally yeah. women are carrying their honour with them. But, you know, as soon as something has tarnished it, you're not seen as worth as anything. Yeah. Oh, I have my own issues with that, how we become the bearers of honor, right? And the yeah. men can do whatever they want. But um, I'm, I'm grateful for the things that you shared with us. I can imagine it's not easy. The reason I was smiling in between, because I see so many similarities in our stories. Um, yeah. And our years line up. So I was uh, separated in 2009 and my divorce went through in 2012. Oh my God. Okay. We, yeah, we separate, but this is what I mean. And a lot of people were quite surprised. It wasn't just, I just separated. Like I said, I think mm. this is another thing about as a community we need to do when two couple have decided to part question, can you make it work? So we went through marriage yeah. counseling. We went through mediation with the family, you know, do things if you can to save a relationship, yeah. because sometimes if you learn something where as an individual, you've made mistakes because each of us had made certain mistakes into that relationship failing. And you know, if you take accountability and responsibility for your own actions and move forward with that change, you can make something work. But if you're going to not do that and then do the finger pointing within the community and to make someone look and belittle someone to have this ego, I don't get that. And I also found, I don't know if this is just an observation for myself, but a lot of men that come out of a relationship get married quicker than women do. And then it's that 
there's a fault with a woman, not the guy, because yeah. she's still not yet married. Yeah. Yet I, in my mom's generation, <laughs> and yet in my mom's generation, my mom, again, being, you know, that, that kind of jobby mentality of, I only marry once, I'm committed to one man, I'm never going to get married, I'm going to sacrifice my life for my kids. What has that got her? You know, and by doing it, and, and again, community and society still knocked her down. And yeah. they, even if she's done everything by the book and done it well and brought her kids up, there's still someone ready to knock you down. Mm. The thing is that they were, oh, they were made. They're a silent it. generation with sacrificing and all they needed to do was sacrifice. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I think sacrifice is, I mean, I, I understand why you're using that word. For me, the strength of those women is incomparable like i look at my mom and she was in a marriage which was abusive from the beginning and she suffered more than 30 years of domestic abuse from the moment she walked in the door um very close until my father actually passed away right um and it was alcohol abuse it was domestic violence and you know yeah. the police were like we were on first name basis regularly yeah yeah um, same thing here she has the same qualities that you're talking about of your mother. So is that, is the, that education that was in that generation and their level of loyalty towards their parents and that respect was a, yeah. a whole other level that we can't comprehend. I'm born and raised in the UK. So I've got a mixture of those values. I've got my Punjabi values, right? And then I've got my, my British values as well. And I couldn't see things from my mom's angle. And in my younger years as a teen, I thought she was weak. I thought that she was just being submissive and not looking for a way out. We begged and pleaded her to leave, but she so wouldn't. Did. didn't believe in divorce. And it wasn't until later in my life that I realized the amount of strength that it takes. Like we, we all have a different path. And I judged her a lot for making those choices then because I thought as a child, I knew better. That's my neighbor's dog. So please enjoy it's the okay. sound. <laughs> um, I thought that I knew better than my mother in that, in that time period and that she wasn't putting her children first. Um, and I thought it was unfair. It wasn't until anything, she was putting you guys more in front and putting your thought, you know, your feelings and how it's going to impact you as children. But I didn't realize that until later. And then I was like, wow. I, I don't have that same strength as my mother. I have a different strength, but I don't have that same strength that she has. And it's just, I, I think it's appreciating the education of different generations. And we stand in a different space. We have the opportunity to create something new. And officially, as of today, you are part of Core Voices because the work that you're doing is the same work that we're trying to do here in this small little community of ours is to talk about hard hitting issues that we need to unveil and yeah. we need to correct those patterns. We need to make spaces safe. We need to make it dignified for if a man can be divorced in our community and still be treated with respect, why can a woman not? I mean, <gasps> I, as you know, work in the space of Girtan and a lot in Gurdwari, very immersed in the Punjabi and Sikh community. When people found out that I got divorced, the first reaction was, oh, Sachi. Oh, and you know, don't oh. you find they do it like that someone's died yes and it's like they're doing it of source yes. and so 
I found that really shocking because it was like they'll come out and go, oh, such a banji for the way I see. And they want the grunchy details rather than ask how you are, if you're even okay. Right. So I never got asked that. Never got asked that. The follow up question was, was it because you travel so much? We thought, I was like, are you kidding? Like, really? Are you kidding? I didn't. I chose not to converse further than that. No, I was just like, no, best way. I would just say yes, just to shut them up and be done with it because it was too much, you know. Yeah. When you go through that, it hits you so many ways. Like for me, it really hit my confidence. My circumstances yes. in my marriage were different. Um, I was oh, okay. Maybe this is the first time I say that. This is the moment that I share this with the world. Um, I was in a marriage where all he wanted was a passport, and I didn't know that. So he was from India. Once he got his residency, he was gone. Like he just flew. That's it. Never saw him again till this day. Um, and it was devastating for me. It was heartbreaking. It hurt my confidence. It hurt my, my self-esteem. It hurt everything. And I, it's, it's been a long time now, right? Um, but I've, the healing that it takes for a woman's heart. You know, because we we take it personally. Men just like brush it off and they pick up the next new toy and like, okay, let me move on. Do you know what I mean? And I think that also, that's you, recognized. Don't you find as well, like anyone that's going into it genuinely, not saying that a lot of people aren't, but so they are. No one gets married to get divorced. Yes. That's another thing. So, you know, when you acknowledge that, and I remember the amount of times I got, I asked, got asked those questions and I was like, in my head, I was thinking, what do you lot think how I got married to get divorced? Because nobody has that vision. No one has that thought process when they're getting married. Even if there's struggles or there's problems at the beginning, you tend to think to yourself, you're going to work through them. They're just little, you know, they're just little processes of on, on your way to your journey of marriage. And it's okay, you know, but how much can you brush under the carpet until mm. you're at a breaking point yourself? So when I used to get that, I used to be thinking, do you think I went into this knowing I was planning to get divorced? And I think that's the thing that hurts. And people want to know the reason why you got divorced, but nobody, even like with yourself there, that's still not acceptable. He made a decision not to treat that marriage, you know, and treat an undercarriage as a union where you guys have made a commitment to each other and walk away from his responsibility. But it's okay for him to do that. But if it was the other way around, it'd be seen completely different. Yeah, but I mean, even in this situation, people still found a way to turn it around on me. And yeah. I was, I, I basically stopped talking to those people. And yeah. I got to the point where now when people ask me and I say, I'm happily divorced, um, yes. they don't know how to take that. They're like, um, can you oh, be happy? <laughs> yeah. They were like, and I'm like, that's, that's my choice. When and if I ever choose that again, firstly, once bitten, twice shy, right? You know, been there, done that, not quite interested, just, you know, I don't know what the future holds, but that's not my driving force in life. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. I think that's the other thing that we need to change in our young women, in, in Punjabi and six spaces. It becomes like, that's the thing you do when you're checking the boxes. You go through high school or you go through primary school, high school, you get to university, you check the box, you get a good job, you check the box. Now you got to get married, check the box. You got to have kids, check the box. Why? Why? Yeah. yeah. Why? See, I feel like in the last decade, I've had the best life I've had. I've achieved a lot more. <laughs> because I've lived life on my own terms. And I remember when I came home, I said, I did it your way, which was the arranged marriage way. 
and now I'm doing it my way. And my family have accepted that. And I've got to say, you know, there were family members that stood beside me, took my side. And, you know, those people I'm never going to forget. So even when I ended up two years ago winning the Asian Women Award for Social and Humanitarian Category, and I remember, so when I started this journey, like I said, I wanted 1% and I got far more than what I bargained for. And when I got recognised for that award, I got on that stage and I, the first person I obviously had to thank was my mum. My mum, my G, my mum, my G, who pulled me out of it. And, you know, when you look at these people that have stood beside you, acknowledge them and acknowledge even the friends that have been there and still accepted you for the person you are goes a long way. Mm. And you'll only have probably a handful of those people in your life because the rest of people are just there to find out the gossip, the details. And, you know, again, I had a friend that said to me, I can't talk to you anymore because you're a divorcee now. And the what? impact it's going to have on me. And, you know, it's like, I didn't even realize you can catch a divorce like a flu. <laughs> so I actually was like, I was shocked. So I I'd walked away from that friendship. And again, years later, when I published the book, I got a message in my inbox appear on my social media. I just chose not to open it because I've grown as a person so much today. I'm a different person. You know, through my journey, I've evolved and become the person I am that I have no resentment to anyone that ever spoke little to me or thought I was not going to be able to get where I am today. I And I say one thing that's got me as far as it has, and it is my Guruji, because, you know, that's one thing I think I'm really thankful to my nanny and my mum that, you know, Bart's been part of my journey. And I do get up and do my Bart every day. And it, I feel where, you know, you've got nobody else with you. And if you've got God with you, that's enough Guruji with you. That will just take you far enough. So again, I want to, you know, when I went on to, Get my first, like I was saying earlier, I was saying I was when I got launched with EY um, Seek Network. I was very grateful it was with the Sikhi community because when we were younger, we broke away from that, going to the Godwara, and then I had to form a relationship with the Sikh community, with um, you know, build bridges with other communities to educate them and to raise the awareness of what goes on um within our community and the issues that i'm covering in my, my book you know and build a relationship with the police force build a relationship with charities you know you're building relationships to raise awareness widely to a wider audience for people to understand that this kind of behavior goes on how do you deal with it how do you break the pattern how do you move forward in life um and that again comes all with absolutely. education mm -hmm. absolutely that's Yes, education. <laughs> how do we educate everybody? How do we, how can we fix it all? Right. And I think your book is a great starting place because for so many people, um, and I find this every week in the show that there's so many people who are unaware of these issues because, um, they might be fortunate enough to never have encountered them in their personal lives. Mm -hmm. um, they might be surrounded by people who might have suffered in silence. Um, so, you know, if that's the case, reach out to people and try to talk, try to provide support. Um, or they can reach out to people like yourself or call voices where we actually, so I'm a sick music therapist. And the reason I chose that path was because I saw the suffering. I saw the pain I went through in my own childhood. I saw it in my mother and people around me. And I wanted to help alleviate that pain. Um, so using sick music therapeutically is what helped me. And that's what I take into, into different spaces. Um, so I think that there's a lot of tools out there that, that we can, we can reach to. Um, and a lot of great organizations, like you mentioned, the Sharon Project, Tana. Um, and I want people to connect with you. So yeah. I, I'm going to drop your website in. It's www 
kalbirbains.com. It's K-A-L-B-I-R-B-A-I-N-S.com. Reach out and support. Follow on social media as well, on all social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, the works. This is when we come together as communities, how we show up. And um, those of you that are listening and have not ordered your book yet, go over to Amazon and order Not Our Daughter right now, right now, in this moment, I want you to do that because we have to support good work. We have to talk about these things. And um, one of the things or a couple of the things that have been on my mind that I'd love to get your opinion on is looking at the current climate where we are in COVID. Um, you mentioned earlier about the rise in domestic abuse in homes. Um, what can we do and um, how can this be addressed for people who are in those situations? You know, just having regular contact for a start with someone that is, if you know that someone's in an abusive relationship, regularly checking with them. It doesn't have to be where you have a phone call conversation. You could be dropping them a text, check they're okay. You know, how are they getting on? If, they're, if they want to talk whenever they're ready or they've got time to talk, they want to contact you, that you are available. As long as you're assuring that person that you're there, you know, not like physically there, but you're there. But when they need time to pick up the phone, let's say they have a moment away from their family and they decide, actually, I want to make that phone call and just have a chat with someone, let them know what's going on within my home. That's so important right now because mm -hmm. there's been loads of ways where people can even do Zoom meetings at work, let their managers know. So if you're working and you've got stuff going on at home and you feel you need some professional to talk to, let one of your managed co-workers know, managers know, a family member, a friend, you know, somebody that, can at least have that information to a side and check in on you and check you're okay. Because I think as a community, we're brought up where let's not talk about it, but there may be somebody at the time when I was going through everything I was going through, because I've gone through a bit of abuse as well. I had a best friend that I was talking to. So I didn't want my family to know anything because I didn't want to hurt my mom because I know her heart was broken to find out that her daughter's going through what she'd gone through years ago. Mm. So I had a best friend that I regularly checked in with, let her know how I was doing. And I think those little things will make such a difference to someone's life. You don't even realize how much that person just being there, listening, but when you're ready to make the call or take an action, that person will be there to help you and support you to make that call. But also charities, look into reaching out to any charities, any helplines you can reach out to. So you've got the Sharon Project, Carmen Nevada is another one. ICRA, um, which is a Kurdish charity, and then you've got Southall Black Sisters. And all of them have like open surgery days. They have um, a time slot on their website. You can even have a look at the websites to see when they have um, availability for people to make phone calls in. So you've got these are professional charities, as well as you have got the police force also have a telephone line as well, because the government have been putting out a national number. So with COVID happening right now, what's happened is you've got a lot of people within homes with confined space and if there was abuse or say a bit of tension happening beforehand it's been amplified a lot more now because of the current climate we're in mm. so you know you've got even when the family that gets on probably finding it difficult because they're all in each other's spaces and you're not so used to being in each other's pockets so it's just you know taking that time out to go for a walk take the kids out have a break also remember when you have got a problem going on try not to do it in front of the kids and this mm. is something i would say being a child from an abusive background 
there's a high possibility that your child would go through abuse and repeat it, 68% chance, because they're witnessing, even if it's verbal abuse, um, physical, mental, a child is more likely to fall into that abuse by 68%, just because they're witnessing that going on around them. So I'm not saying I'm condoning it, but I'm just saying, you know, as parents or as couples in front of children, try not to have those conversations around kids because I know the psychological impact it's had on my, my me later on in my life as a child where it did have. And if I'd known the statistics then, I think I would have done a lot of like, I went through counseling afterward and I, I healed and I understood behavior patterns and things like that, which mm -hmm. I would have done a lot more earlier in my twenties if I'd known the statistics until after I went through my divorce and do my research for my book, I found out this, you know, how it has an impact. And this is where I think I'm more mindful if I'm around kids, what kind of conversations you have around kids, what mm. are healthy, what are not healthy conversations, what shouldn't be discussed in front of them. And I think that's something really important. And again, kids being on social media right now is another one where, you know, parents checking in to see what sites they're on because you've got this massive high, um, you know, you've got a lot of things going on with paedophile trafficking as well. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. worldwide globally, which, you know, is another risk. So I think it's just even parents being more aware with what's happening to their kids out there as well and what social media can have an impact on them. Because hmm. you've got to remember, we, I'm an 80s child and I didn't grow up with social media. So I'm able to control how much I have, you know, being on social media um, and not being on social media. But whereas the younger generation now, for them, it's all about connecting with their friends, you know, and being within confined spaces. It's doing their homework on social. So you've got more opportunity of these kids not even discussing with their parents with what's going on. So you've got that aspect of it as well as parents, if there's abuse going on at home. And also, you've got to bear in mind for kids, schools, if there was abuse going on at home, is a safe space. Yeah, It's a space to, dis to disappear. Because it was for us. That's what it was for me. Yeah. You know, and it was almost li living a double life. So how many of those kids are now constantly in that space would be harder as well? Yes, absolutely. I think you've raised a lot, a lot of valid points. There's so, so many things that you've talked about today that I would love to dive deeper into. And I feel I'm going to have to have you back. Um, you were talking earlier about um, dowry and marriages. And um, I know a lot of people who have still, you know, continued to have their Anand garage take place during COVID um, and going from the 500 people massive wedding to the small 20 or 30 people weddings yeah i'm all for that because originally that's what i wanted i wanted a very small private wedding and i didn't end up having that i ended up having a wedding which i kept compromising and compromising compromising for the boy side and it ended up getting bigger and bigger and it wasn't the kind of wedding i wanted i just think right now with what's happening with covid it's making people also question what's important the mm. two of them joining in union with 30 guests which are your you know immediate family your loved ones and if your loved ones understand they'll be happy to know that you're married and you can party whenever mm. you know and i think for a lot of people it's all about the partying and weddings have been getting bigger and bigger and bigger and then over the time i have seen them getting very intimate as well with guests being up to 150 to 200 300 probably and you know but i think it's nice that we're bringing it back to the basics yes 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 and it yes. is focusing on the ananda garage it is focusing on that one moment you know 
which in getting the couple to understand what it's all about and also your journey afterwards where your marriage really starts you know that i know that yeah. you know and it's not about that one day so if we put that one day aside and get them to focus on so well done to everyone that's had a covid <laughs> wedding if i was in a relationship i would have run down the aisle <laughs> it would have been the perfect time <laughs> because i just think you know what have your loved ones there and just keep it simple and have you know when i hear about because when i look i wrote a little chapter about how when my mum and dad got married and again they had a small intimate affair and it was do you remember back in the 80s everybody got together and pulled together so the bond they were one house but you at the other house you know you had all the food was cooked from home matai was done from home a week before it was a very like a community get together feel yeah was and now it's how much have we paid how many people guest forget 500 you'd even have guests up to 15 to 2000 guests and i just think they're getting bigger and bigger and i've known people that have had very big weddings or the show thing you know or they've gone intimate but they still had spent quite a bit and in the uk an average indian wedding overall asian wedding is 50000 to 250000 yeah what Yes. Are you what are you kidding uh, me seriously right now? no honestly what 50,000 to 250,000 and one of the most expensive lenghe that were made all completely sroski stones i think it was 30,000 from soho road oh my god sorry that i just did the eye roll there because i just think i think it's just that's what i mean i think it's ridiculous and the fact we've got Such i think covid Yes and covid's happened and it's got a lot of people to I've had cousins recently who've got married during covid and when I've seen their pictures and I've seen the focus again it comes back to the basics and compliments have been quite basic where look how beautiful they like look together look how stunning she looks because you still can look amazing without having a thousand guests at your wedding because it's now bringing a focal point on the two of you having an intimate affair with the people you love in that room who are there for you through your good and your bad because let's face it when you have 552 i don't know 1200 to 2000 guests how many of those people are going to be in your life really you know you got to do the or keep it on the you won't even get five people stand next to you oh none of them they just they all flee so yeah, yeah. so that's what i mean i think getting people to go back to basic and for me i personally think it's the best thing that's happened Yeah. And I think anyone that's postponed their wedding till next year fair enough you're allowed to have a choice and do that and you want you know everybody wants something different that's understandable but personally I think it's going back to our roots and getting us to understand what's important. Oh yeah. Absolutely. I I agree with that and I guess this is a great moment for me to share that um I I perform Anand Garage for um a lot of friends at the moment um and I'll take the traditional Sikh instruments and sing kirtan in rag to give a wholesome experience of what it would have felt like back in the day when you listen to that music yeah um and one of the key components of the work that I do in that space is to work with the couple for a period of at least 6 months before the anand garage to go through um different layers of support individually and together to find out the purpose like why do they want to get married what does it mean to them what are they expecting and what does the day of the anand garage mean to them um building that connection taking them through that process um as well as then going deep into the shabads that will be sung that day the lama and any of the shabads that will be sung so that there's a connection on that day the day of the anand garage is 
those two souls individually making a commitment to guru but witnessing each yep. other's commitment and then being there in support of each other's journey because that is what anand garage means it is mm-hmm. and But a lot of people don't know that so yeah. this is the thing that shocks me when you get talking to the even the younger generation and even my generation i remember when i was getting married a lot of people don't know that they don't even know what each of their long even mean like yeah. what what each lama means and represents and at the oh. end of it when they even say when they give you a shrupa and they give you a gutka and they say that guruji is the center of your life anything happens come to guruji but a lot of people you know again once they're married yes they'll have part functions they'll attend the gurudwara but how many of them do they really turn to the guruji so i i agree with you but i think that there's we've been fortunate in the era that we grew up in we were given a, maybe a stronger connection with gurbani and yeah. guru granth ji i don't think that that's been passed on in the in the generations the after generations that below. and i think that this is a great way to address that that originally that's how it used to be that's what we were taught that you make that connection um and we can recreate that we can have better support and it's it's why you do the work that you do and i do the work that i do because we see that there's a need for it we need to have that support we need to keep the anand if we're going to have the anand garage then we need to keep it guru centered and know yes. that that's the wisdom we need for the rest of our lives and all the money the excess that we waste um that could go to doing so much good in the world there are so many people suffering in different ways that need that support and we're supposed to be a calm of giving of looking after yeah. others not we're not here for an ego trip to say oh i've got so much money hey come and look my daughter's wedding is bigger than your daughter's wedding why couldn't you do this you couldn't afford it oh i can afford it right it, yeah. we, we have to snap out of that nonsense um we've got to step into this and i i love what you said that the intimate weddings now happening during covid yeah. are actually a blessing and yeah and it's so lovely because even even through social media you can still see your cousins are getting married your family friends are getting married and you're still congratulating you're still part of their journey yes you're not there present but you're just as happy fair enough you're not partying for you know 2 3 hours on a dance floor with them but you're just as happy for them and also to see that they've actually moved on in the next chapter in their life and you know also it's kept it simple and focus on the two of them to enjoy that day yeah. to start their journey as a married couple and that you will be a part of that journey and meet them as friends or, or family members and connect with them and i think it's if you genuinely care about someone you'll have that connection regardless mm mm absolutely absolutely oh i love this so anybody who's tuning in if you want to know more about the anand garage if you're thinking to get married or you're looking for some guidance and support you can drop me an email callvoices@gmail.com and we'll make that connection make it deeper make it mean something more and on that note i think you- it's also amazing that you're doing sorry um the fact you're doing that course where it's for 6 months and getting the couple to understand why are they getting married what does it mean to them mm-hmm. because a lot of people go into the idea of marriage they don't realize what responsibilities they have to go through and you know there's got to be give and take on both sides there has to be compromises done on each side but a lot of people will go in assuming that is they're going to get it their way Mhm and or it's going to be you know like for instance like you when you were just saying earlier that you'd gone through a marriage where he knew that once he's got a visa he's leaving or it's the case where you know so like myself when I got married it was I'd gone through a number of issues in my marriage which I've written about in my book 
and it got to a breaking point that I had to eventually leave. Mm. You know, and it gets to that point, really think about it. It's not an easy decision. It's a life-changing decision. And it's not just a life-changing decision for two people. It's for two families. Mm. And when a marriage breaks, two families break. Yeah. You know, you're giving heartache to both sides. And I remember how much it shattered my mom. You know, and you, it, not just my mum, even the extended family, like how everybody felt about it. So, you know, everybody feels that pain. So don't take it lightly. Think about it and really connect and make the effort. And the fact you do that for six months, I think that's brilliant. Something that we really need more and more of. Thank you. Thank you, Kulbi. This has been wonderful. And um, we've come to the end of the show. And I'd like to ask you, if you have a message to leave with our beautiful Core Voices community. Think about how you can break a cycle and bring about education going forward. It's so important. And it's not just, you know, almost normalizing when we say taboo subjects as real conversations. And let's start introducing them as conversations that need to go on within our homes that we can then allow the next generation before us to not have it as hard as we've had it all the you know generations before us we can bring about that change so just think about how you want to be the change through education basically bring that mm. about and think how you can contact that beautiful beautiful thank you Kobir. thank you it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show thank you I excited for you to be back because there were there's still like a ton of questions in my head for all of the things that we talked about gender equality child marriage all of these things you know things that we need to delve into and talk about more so please please come back soon and um welcome also to the core voices community because you are now a permanent member <laughs> um but really, sincerely, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. And thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.